I invite you to join me in prayer. May something of you be revealed in this time and this place, O oh God. Through the gift of your word, through the gift of music, through the gift of this proclamation, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have talked to a number of rising seniors in high school recently, and I have come to believe that applying to college today is no joke. We've got a decent number of rising seniors in our youth group, and they could tell you much better than I. The competition is fierce, the statistical odds are a bit anxiety-inducing, and the pressure put on our youth today is mind-boggling. Somehow, alongside high test scores and GPAs and class rankings and extracurriculars and AP exam scores, the application today includes this thing called a personal statement. Basically, this is your chance to sell yourself to the school. Why would you be a great addition to their collegiate community? What personality or values or unique gifts do you bring that set yourself apart from others? The admissions committees seem to believe and have come to expect that by the young age of 17, you've done something to distinguish yourself, and they'd like to know about it in 300 words or less. Now, the thing is that I can attest that our young people today are doing incredible things, giving to their communities in meaningful ways, investing hours in study and sports and service, often at the expense of sleep, and through these experiences, shaping themselves into smart and caring and incredible individuals. When I was a campus minister at Duke, I regularly commented that I didn't think I could get into my own alma mater anymore. The students that I was working with had done things like form nonprofits and start organizations to address climate change and invent things, all while achieving some measure of academic success. Like I said, our young people today are doing incredible things. But the whole application process requires a degree of self-promotion. Look at what I've done. Here's the obstacle I've overcome. Let me share the Herculean effort that I put into solving a local or a global crisis. Here I am, often a person of privilege, sharing how I did my part to save the world. And all of these achievements are worthy, but the process can feel more than a little bit self-serving. And maybe for you it's not a college application, but a job interview, or the personal letter that you now have to write in order to buy a house in a competitive housing market. Even an application to something like a service organization like Rotary. It can feel as if self-promotion is required in order to succeed today. Even as pastors, the pastor information form that those of you who have served on a PNC had to read, it asks pastors to outline in 250 words a moment in your recent ministry of great success and fulfillment. Whether we like it or not, I doubt that anyone in this room has been able to avoid, at some point in your life, the personal sales pitch. Look how great I am. 
And it's not that sharing successes is bad. It's not even that we're not called to tell our own story. The whole of the Bible is rooted in storytelling and the witness of God's people. But the why behind our sharing matters, and the why behind our actions matter. Are we volunteering in order to fulfill the required service hours for school or because it was a way to give back? Are you doing good for selfish gain or for God's glory? The question of motives is what Joey and Phoebe argue about in this week's Scripture and Screen episode from Friends. For those of you who haven't seen the classic 90s sitcom, Joey is an aspiring actor who always seems to be looking for his next big break. And in one particular episode, he comes into the apartment dressed in a tux, fit, um, fit for the occasion, and announces, my agent got me a job as the co-host of the PBS telethon. And then he says, a little good deed for PBS, some free TV exposure for me. That's the kind of math Joey likes to do. Phoebe, one of the other friends, immediately calls Joey on the act. And Joey says, but, but I just wanted to do a good deed. And Phoebe says, this isn't a good deed. This is totally selfish. And the two get in a, a little bit of a tiff, and Joey argues that there is, in fact, no selfish good deed, and he challenges Phoebe to find one. So for the whole rest of the episode, Phoebe undergoes all sorts of ridiculous things, trying to find a selfish good deed to no avail. Finally, she decides in her exasperation to give $200 to the PBS telephone. She announces that this is, in fact, a selfless good deed because she hates PBS because of a childhood disappointment with Sesame Street. And so she figures she's done something good for society, but it brought her no joy or fulfillment. But then, her gift is the one that puts the telethon over the fundraising goal and gives Joey the airtime that he was so desperate for. And sitting on the couch at home watching, she cheers for herself and then suddenly realizes that all of her own actions helped her to be seen by others as good. Now the show, of course, is playful, but at the center of the episode is a question of motives. Why do we do good deeds? Do we do good works in order to be seen by others as good? And does it matter? This morning we find Jesus in the midst of his own sermon, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to the disciples and the crowds gathered. His sermon on the mount uh, opens with blessings for those um, who are, as Phoebe was trying to be, selfless. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, those persecuted for righteousness' sake. We get a sense from the very beginning of Jesus' sermon that Christ is calling us to live a life of selflessness, a life pointed toward God, a life in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus spends most of the Sermon on the Mount unpacking the law. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, back and forth, back and forth throughout the chapter. But Jesus' sermon goes beyond just a simple interpretation of the law to answer some of these questions of purpose and motive that are underneath. 
And so when we get to chapter 6, Jesus addresses Joey and Phoebe's question head on. He says, do not do good works or practice piety before others so that you will be seen by them. When you give alms, do not sound the trumpet so that you may be praised. Do not even stand in the synagogues or street corners and pray so that you may be seen. Certainly we're called to do good works, he says, but our motives matter. Everything hinges on those two little words, so that. It is as if the so that in Jesus' teaching is the arrow that determines the direction of praise. If the so that arrow is pointed toward us, then Jesus says our motives are out of alignment. If the so that arrow is pointed toward God, then our motive can be selfless even if we feel fulfilled and joyful. In each case, Jesus argues that our motives matter. He's calling us to give and pray and serve, not because we are great, but because God is. And when the spotlight shifts from our glory to God's, then our acts of piety, generosity, prayer, and care serve not to elevate ourselves, but in fact to point the way toward the kingdom of heaven. Our motives matter. But I also have to admit that giving without any kind of reward doesn't really come naturally. Most of us want credit, or at least a thank you. In a different take on Scripture and Screen that you didn't watch for today, there is an episode of the HBO show Curb Your Enthusiasm in which Larry David donates a large sum of money to a, for a wing at an art gallery. And as a result, the wing is named for him, the Larry David Wing. And he arrives at the opening of the art gallery to discover that across from the Larry David Wing is a wing given by Anonymous. Except that everyone at the opening party seems to know who Anonymous is, because Anonymous has taken upon it upon himself to whisper that he's the anonymous one to a few people, who have whispered it further to a few people, who have then gone on and on about how generous and humble he is for giving such a large sum of money, but not wanting to take any of the credit for it by having his name on the wall. As you can imagine, Larry David was more than a little bit annoyed, because, of course, Anonymous did want the credit, and he made sure he was going to get it, albeit in a roundabout kind of way. Anonymous missed the part about giving in secret in today's gospel lesson because his selfless gift pointed that so that arrow right at himself. So maybe it's true that giving without any reward doesn't come naturally. But Jesus does this really interesting thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say that giving for God's glory is without reward. He says that when we give in secret and pray in secret, our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Jesus suggests that our attempts at selfless good deeds do, in fact, have a reward. He says when our motive is God's glory, 
we are able to draw closer to God. When we give to God, we in fact become more like God, the ultimate giver. Because the image of God that is already in us shines through in ways that others will see without having to drop any kind of anonymous hints. Even more than that, this word generosity and the root of the word gen literally means kin. So when we give to others and for others, we become kin with the people who benefit from our generosity. When we give selflessly and generously of ourselves, our reward is not personal glory, but being drawn closer to God and one another. The so that arrow points outward toward God and others, but gives us a path to be connected. As Amanda said in the children's sermon, that's in fact part of why we have an offering each and every week. In a time when most of you do give online, perhaps you wonder why we pass the plate. Maybe you even think it's a waste of time. And I get it. I watch each week as the ushers go through the awkward ritual of looking for your uh, gentle wave of deflection and wondering if there's anyone who's going to drop a small offering envelope into the plate. I know the weekly dance. So why do we spend five weeks each week in worship doing this ritual? Because whether you put anything into the plate or not, it's a chance for us to be reminded, even for a moment, of this Christian practice of generosity, of becoming kin with one another. And when we do that, we're drawn into the heart of God. It's a chance to remember that our actions and our motives matter. So whether it's processed automatically through your bank account or came at a great sacrifice from your wallet, the practice of giving is a chance for us to direct that so that arrow in the right direction. This past month's uh, school supply drive is a great example of this. Because most of you who bought school supplies had them shipped to, to the church via the Amazon wish, wish list. Which means that Pastor Emma and the mission committee and myself have no idea who to thank for your generosity. We can't give you any credit for the overflowing barrel of school supplies that is out in the lobby. But when we bless those school supplies and distribute them to the kids at Dobbs and Nicholas House and Memorial Drive Ministries, we become kin with these young people who are preparing for school. And because of that, we're invested and invited to care about their education and their well-being and their growth in the same way that we do the children who gather up here each week. Your gifts point the so that arrow outward toward God and others. And the kingdom of God is more visible through the delight of children who have supplies to learn and play at school. We give for God's glory. And yet as we do, we're drawn closer to God and others. So what would Jesus say to Phoebe and Joey? Is there such a thing as a selfless good deed? Jesus seems to suggest that either way, there is in fact a reward. 
But Jesus is also clear that our motives matter. Giving for selfish gain, for personal recognition and honor, stands at odds with the kingdom. But good deeds of time and treasure that give God glory offer an arrow, a trajectory that points us into the heart of God. And when we give our gifts to benefit others, we become kin with one another so that our well-being is tied up together in a way that invites us to invest in one another's thriving. And the reward for that is far greater than personal glory. So I'm still not sure if there's actually a selfless good deed. And I have no idea whether a life of generosity is going to get you into Harvard. But I do know that our motives matter. And when the so that arrow is pointed toward God and not ourselves, we are drawn into the heart of God and the kingdom of heaven will draw near. May it be so.